0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Deeper Than Data, a Data's six-episode summer podcast series. I'm Emily Jackson.
1: And I'm Daniel Abawadji.
0: And we're your hosts.
1: Goal three of the UN Millennium Development Goals was to, quote, promote gender equality and empower women. The goal was accompanied by one major target and four indicators to guide progress.
0: And this year, that language reappeared in goal five of the sustainable development goals, which is to, quote, promote gender equality and empower all women and girls.
1: This goal is vital for development.
2: Everybody recognizes that empowerment of women is a, is a good thing.
0: But it's difficult to create initiatives or programs for the sole purpose of women's empowerment. I
2: think we lack a good comprehensive understanding of how to integrate that into appropriate
1: initiatives. It can be difficult to create a specific initiative or program to address a goal as broad and multifaceted as women's empowerment. Empowerment can take the form of programs in education, health, agriculture, and more.
0: Many important development goals are similar in this way. Nutrition, for example, is a very broad goal for development that can be built into programs across all sectors.
1: The fact that you can incorporate the goals of nutrition or women's empowerment to so many different programs and projects seems like a great advantage.
0: But it also means that it can be difficult to track exactly how much money and effort goes into making those goals happen.
1: And sometimes negative consequences of well-meaning initiatives can go unnoticed.
0: Today we're talking about women's empowerment in development what's the best way to make sure that programs and initiatives that are meant to empower women actually achieve that goal?
1: How can we use initiatives for nutrition as a model for women's empowerment in development? Stay with us.
0: Before we go any further, let's define women's empowerment.
2: Empowerment is viewed as an expansion of of assets and capabilities. The physical, tools and, and resources that women have and also the, uh, the capabilities that they have to, to make decisions, to be and to
1: do. That's Scott Ickes.
2: So I'm Scott Ickes and I'm a member of the Kinesiology Health Sciences Department and I help co-direct the public health minor at William & Mary, which is an interdisciplinary minor. I have a background uh, in nutrition, intervention and policy
1: He's also working on research on how maternal empowerment affects child nutrition. And he's held a fellowship with the National Institutes of Health in Maternal and Childhood Nutrition.
0: Now, why is the idea of empowerment, expanding assets and capabilities, important to development? Well, there are some obvious reasons.
2: Yes, I think I think we're missing half of the population. You're playing with, with half a team if you don't empower women, You know, to borrow a quote from John
1: Kerry. And there are some more nuanced arguments. For example... Since women's health has intergenerational consequences, it's important to give women in low- and middle-income countries the assets and capabilities to take care of themselves.
2: A woman's health has intergenerational consequences for, for her offspring, so we know that investing in mothers' nutrition, investing in their health, has consequences not only for them, but uh, you know, early on for their developing fetuses and, and children and so forth.
0: Unfortunately, it can be difficult to track women's empowerment. When we searched for aid within the women's sector on AidData's dashboard, we only found $2.9 billion worth of development assistance.
1: What kinds of projects count as women's empowerment? Is it possible to directly support this cause, or do you have to support empowerment through activities in other sectors?
0: Today we're using an example from Dr. Ickes' work with the Canadian International Development Agency on a project called Scaling Up Nutrition Resource Tracking.
1: The Scaling Up Nutrition, or SUN movement, is a collaborative network launched in 2010 that unites governments, donors, civil society academia and the private sector in efforts to improve nutrition projects policies and outcomes in developing countries with a core focus on empowering women the classification and tracking of aid financing to support nutrition is core to sun's work but further classification of nutrition aid to identify projects that also support empowerment can be quite challenging
2: the amount of development assistance that was dedicated to nutrition that was uh, that had a uh... A primary purpose for empowerment was actually quite low.
1: As it stands, official development assistance reported to the OECD is classified with one overarching sector chosen from roughly 200 options. While this may sound like a lot, the categories are quite broad and lack the kind of nuance that could help SUN countries to better track nutrition interventions within their borders. To illustrate, nutrition is just one of the OECD's sector options. This makes it particularly challenging to identify the nutrition components of projects that fall in other sectors. For example, an agricultural project that produces nutrient-fortified crops or a reproductive health project that supports maternal and infant nutrition.
0: Classifying aid interventions based on their nature and goals can be very useful for researchers seeking to identify trends, gaps in coverage, and areas to improve.
1: Researchers and policymakers are in need of a way to capture the granular data that is missed by the OECD classification system. Such an approach could also apply to funding for women's empowerment or any number of cross-cutting multi-sector development issues.
0: Dr. Ickes collaborated with AidData's monitoring and evaluation specialist Rachel Trichler and co-executive director Brad Parks to introduce a new methodology that seeks to more accurately and comprehensively capture investments that are nutrition sensitive.
1: This means the investments directly support nutrition in some way, but are not labeled as nutrition projects within the OECD classification, because they fall into one of the other nearly 200 sector options. As we've discussed, funding for women's empowerment works in a very similar way.
0: The team used data from the OECD Creditor Reporting System, or CRS, database and filtered it through a set of 32 CRS purpose codes and several keywords that were deemed to be relevant to nutrition.
1: Based on these codes and keywords, the team found over 27,000 donor investments that could potentially qualify as nutrition sensitive. These 27,000 commitments were then put into detailed categories using Aid datas Activity Coding Scheme, which yielded 1,600 nutrition-sensitive commitments. The team was able to capture a new level of granularity in the data, expanding estimates of nutrition funding to include multi-sector efforts. In 2010, the OECD Nutrition Classification captured $379.4 million of funding for nutrition, and Data's method identified an additional $1.8 billion of funding for nutrition-sensitive investments in other sectors. The work of Trichler, Parks, and ICAS is detailed as part of the AidData working paper series, which can be found at AidData.org.
0: Now how can we use that as a replicable model to track women's empowerment?
1: First, we need to identify what kinds of programs help to empower women. Can a project or activity in any sector impact women in a way that empowers them? Are there specific qualities or means of implementation that need to be addressed?
2: So, I think that we lack a good conceptual, comprehensive understanding about how to integrate empowerment interventions that are intending to empower women into sectors. And I think the studying development assistance reveals that or proves that point, you know, that there is a lot of dialogue. There's some money being dedicated towards women's empowerment, but it's often not the primary purpose. Yeah. And to figure out systematically you know, how to, um, how to do that within each intervention is quite difficult.
0: Activities that promote women's abilities to make decisions, take control of their health, and gain political independence can all be considered empowerment.
2: For example, interventions to educate women could be empowering to women. Interventions to improve reproductive rights and decision-making could, imp- could empower women. Interventions to improve schooling for girls could empower women. Interventions to increase access to antenatal care could empower women. Um, interventions to improve um, nutrition and pregnancy could empower women. Um, inter- interventions to improve women's land tenure could, could empower women.
1: All of these are examples from different sectors and activities of development, but they all share the common theme of trying to empower women. The methodology produced by Ickes, Trichler, and Parks we just discussed offers a great way to potentially classify and track women's empowerment projects.
0: Tracking all these different activities and projects for empowerment is vital, since development assistance projects can often have unintended consequences.
1: And since women are such an impactful, central part of development, we really need to make sure we understand exactly how programs directed towards them affect other parts of development as well.
0: Dr. Ickes gave a great example of an unintended consequence of women's empowerment initiatives.
1: We can actually
2: see sometimes unintended consequences in women's development and, and health goals. So some of my work um, has looked at how breastfeeding rates in, in multiple countries actually go down when certain measures of women's empowerment increase. So this is a, you know, kind of an unintended consequence really of perhaps women having greater access to the workplace, having more decisions regarding health and financial autonomy. These can actually work against um, the goals that we have for child nutrition
1: women's empowerment is not harmful or damaging in of itself but sometimes greater pushes towards employment and education can cause people to veer away from health and wellness issues within family life
0: these kinds of issues can easily be addressed by development partners and host governments once they are identified but we need a better way to track the allocation and effects of aid for women's empowerment first
2: yes i think better metrics to measure empowerment better metrics to measure Uh, women's status are needed, better metrics to measure how much money is being spent um, on this issue is needed, but I think we need greater harmonization of those two things in order to really understand um, what kind of return on investment is, is made possible through some of these types of spending.
1: This brings us back to what has been one of the main driving forces behind our podcast series this summer. We won't be able to better the status of women or create metrics to measure money spent on empowerment if the data on these topics isn't open.
0: Donor and recipient institutions alike need to be open and clear about how every development dollar affects women and those around them.
1: We need to pair data on development spending with information on health and empowerment in low and middle income countries.
2: I think what we need you know, for smart development is a kind of linking up of development assistance tracking with metrics of health and and development among recipient countries.
0: Dr. Ickes echoed several of our guests and Daniel and ourselves when he said, I
2: think greater transparency is of course a huge benefit. I I can't see really any negative setbacks, you know, for increasing aid transparency
0: and development. So Open data matters to me because anyone can use it and access it quickly. And when there's a disaster, you don't have time to wait on the talk. Development
1: partners and governments in the region have to recognize the value in cooperation and transparency. The full potential of growth and development in the Caribbean cannot be realized until all actors begin to work together and respect one another. One of the effects of transparency and the benefits of transparency is in reducing
2: corruption, you avoid waste, you increase trust in government, but you also help
1: and to contribute to We need better intelligence on the realities of policy making and reform in low and middle income countries.
0: It is an essential ingredient because if you don't know what what your government is supposed to be doing for you, then how can you begin to hold them accountable? Or how can you begin to advise them on what your priorities are? If you liked what you heard today on Deeper Than Data, head over to A Data's blog, The First Tranche at slash blog to read the accompanying blog post. This week, we wrote a summary of A Data's working paper number seven, which describes the methodology for categorizing nutrition aid that Dr. Ickes worked on.
1: As we've reached the end of this summer podcast series, we'd like to thank everyone who contributed to our podcast: Lou Sevier, Emily McClennigan, Pravesh Basnet, Phil Ressler, Mike Tierney, David Saldivar, Kofi Abuwaji. Dina Abdel Fata, Rebecca Latarel, Brad Parks, Scott Ickes, Michelle Zelli, Harsh Desai, Pranay Sinha, Pratush Dubey, Mike and Alec, Katie Paulson Smith, Chris Catella, Samantha Custer, and last but not least, our families and friends.
0: This is Emily Jackson.
1: And Daniel Abawaji.
0: Thanks for listening.